the idea that the guards uh, weren't bothering to get back to him too quickly was uh, kind of surprising because his solicitor was was writing to them. The guards are specifically saying there was no deal done, there was no immunity granted from a murder charge, and therefore Jonathan Dowdle's evidence can be heard. I'm Nicola Talent, and you're listening to Crime World, a podcast about criminals, drugs and the sins of the underworld in Ireland and across the globe. State witness Jonathan Dowdall could be delayed giving his evidence at the Regency trial as defence lawyers continue to argue his permission to take the stand. Complex cross-examination of Gardaí involved in the investigation has revealed how Dowdall and his wife Patricia reached out to Gardaí after he was charged with the murder of David Byrne and eventually gave a 50-page statement to them. Dowdall's status on the Witness Protection Programme is expected to be clarified today when the court will decide what happens next. Today, I'm talking with Niall Donald about the evidence from the Regency trial and the details that have emerged of Dowdall's route from accused to witness. This is Crime World, a podcast from sundayworld.com. It's become a little bit even more complex than it has before the Hutch trial, the Regency trial going on before the Special Criminal Court. This week, there has been a lot of cross-examination in relation to how Dowdall came, presented himself basically to the guards saying he wanted to give a statement. Um, It's really, really strange. I have not come across the likes of this before. The fact of the matter is that Dowdall was feeling under threat after he was charged in relation to the Regency. Um, I, threat by the Kinnahans, sorry, he's saying he was he was feeling threatened by the Hutch grouping, by the Kinnahan grouping, and probably by the paramilitaries as well, although he doesn't exactly state why he was feeling under threat from them. I mean, it was, yeah, it was, he was, he does mention the provost, which is, which is an interesting use of term, uh, provost alone. I mean, it, it was, yeah, it was really, it was really interesting evidence. There's no doubt about it. I mean, the absolute funniest bit, or I don't, funny maybe isn't the right term, but the most bizarre bit was that the guards wouldn't kept, wouldn't get back to him uh, once yeah. he offered to go state witness. I mean, it was the most, uh, like it's always, uh, it can be a frustration trying to, 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 to Get in touch with somebody from from the guards or from the medical services or whatever the state bureaucracy can frustrate you. But the idea that the guards uh, weren't bothering to get back to him too quickly was uh, kind of surprising because his solicitor was was writing to them. Um, but yeah, it's important testimony for the Hutch defence about how Jonathan Dowdle made contact. What was you know the the defence are really clearly saying that there was a quid pro quo going on, that Jonathan Dowdle was initially charged with murder. He spoke to the Guardi and that was reduced, obviously, to, um, you know, to facilitating the murder. And that this is 
this is a, a deal was done. This is robustly denied now by the Gardaí who said um, there was no taint to the process. They were two separate things. And that's that's clearly the, the tension that arises. But yeah, it was it was very dramatic evidence. And, you know, it's it, it appears that it's very, very recent times in which he, Jonathan Dowdle uh, made contact with the Gardaí and offered to give to give evidence. So <clears throat> the whole idea of this turning state witness against, you know, somebody and it's clouded in secrecy, right? That's the first thing we have to say, completely and utterly, always has been. Um, and the Witness Protection Programme is under the remit of Crime and Security, who've already been quite prominent in this trial because they would be over the National Surveillance Unit. There has been a lot of... Gardi in the witness box claiming privilege with information, talking about their trade craft. They don't want to give information about all this stuff surrounding this arm of the state in the fight against organised crime. Understandably, from the position of the Gardi, that, you know, this is witness protection, etc., is, you know, it's something that was brought in way back in the days that the mafia, the Italian mafia, were being taken down in. in the States, and it made its way over to Europe. It was taken up by a lot of jurisdictions. And in Ireland, it started in 1996 after the murder of Veronica Guerin. That was the first time the Special Criminal Court was used in an organised crime case. And it was the first time we saw these state witnesses come under witness protection, Charlie Bowden and Russell Warren. Their evidence was given and not accepted really by the courts and in the Supreme Court appeals. It was it was really honed in on the fact that in the case of Charlie Bowden, there was incentives for him to give evidence. And this is really what we're getting at here in this trial, that the defence are suggesting that there was this situation going on in the background, that the defence are pretty much stating that the DPP was working hand in glove with the Gardaí. They dropped the charges at the same time he came along with his, with his statements. Yeah, they're saying very clearly that there was a, a powerful incentive for, for, for Jonathan Dowdle to 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 give this evidence, and that incentive was to reduce his murder charge to a much lesser charge. Um, now that, as I said, that's being robustly denied. Um, like it's you obviously know more about the the witness protection program than than many people haven't haven't written the book, The Witness, of course, but, you know, if I remember correctly, like, if if there's a deal done, which is a possibility, isn't it, and Charlie Bowden got immunity from prosecution, and um, it has to be kind of stated up front and then taken into account by the court, I think that's fair to say, is it? And in this case, yes. the guards are specifically saying there was no deal done, there was no immunity granted from a murder charge, and therefore Jonathan Dowdle's evidence can be heard solely as, as a, basically as a witness offering to give evidence. And the timeline of it is is interesting, and we will go back to that, when he's charged and when he starts to contact them and what happens along there. Uh, but we do, I think, have to point out that the DPP operates exclusively from the Gardaí. They are separate entities of the state. That's the director of public prosecutions where all decisions are made about what criminal charges are going to be made, etc. And we have been seeing more and more in the special criminal court 
and indeed only this week with Paul Crosby, that murder charges are quite often being reduced to guilty pleas for lesser charges for facilitating murders. Uh, I was looking through some of the stuff last night and there have been quite a few of those charges reduced. Now, you, you know, the reasons being many, but one of them that is glaring for me is how busy the special criminal courts are. They are absolutely full to the gills. There's two of them running at this stage with all the uh, cases coming before them involving organised crime and gang crime, etc. And in the case of Mr. Nobody, Declan Brady, who was whisked into court one day just before the Hutch trial got underway and he's been charged in relation to uh, a, a murder, to facilitating a murder. But he was told that he doesn't get a trial until 2024 because there just isn't space available. And I think Justice Tara Burns has been at pains to point out to both the prosecution and the defence in this case, while not rushing them, that this is you know, there is a finite amount of time for this trial to proceed. And in the beginning, when it emerged that those charges had been had been dropped and all prosecute entered for doubt all in the case of murder, um, there was kind of discussion in the court about how, you know, you can argue this all you want, but you're going to miss your, your place here in the courts. And you'd wonder if the DPP is reducing some of these charges because there simply isn't time or space in the courts. Yeah, I think, they're, 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 look, that's, that, that could be a factor. I mean, the other factor is that the evidence that, that, that they've had, and, and nearly all of these cases are Kinnan and Hutch-related murders, a lot of it is there's, there's no uh, particular witness, there's very little direct forensic evidence. What there is is a very circumstantial case with CCTV things like that. Um, for example, Patter Keating, um, a senior member of Bomber Kavanagh's subcell, like he ple- pleaded guilty to a lesser charge as well. So the state is obviously looking at them and saying it's not a, a slam dunk case where where there's, you know, uh, DNA evidence of somebody pulling a trigger. Um, so there is an incentive to, for if somebody pleads guilty to a lesser charge. Obviously, for these gangland criminals as well, there's a huge difference even between getting a 10-year sentence and a life sentence, which is an extra 20 years. So it may be that 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 these cases, that um, the evidence is there to prove facilitating a murder, the evidence may not be there um, to prove beyond all reasonable doubt that there is a, the, the actual murder somebody is uh, there is enough to convict somebody of murder and it may suit both parties that that what you have is clearly people operating as part of a gang um, and and arranging for one of these murders or attempted murders to take place um, the DPP obviously just how it works in a very basic sense it is a separate body the guards put forward a case file um, they then the DPP make a decision, and this is one of the separation of powers that exists in a, in a democracy, where the DPP aren't operating as an arm of the state. It operates differently in different countries, but that is a, a sense that 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 there is a, a there's pillars of of the state, and just like the judges are separate from the guardy as well, and that that ensures people get get treated fairly. Um, so. Yeah, it's it's it it's it's interesting. Again, you see a kind of a slightly chaotic feel to some of the how Jonathan Dowdle came in. 
it certainly inspires people on social media, doesn't it, to think the worst? Uh, this is the thing. It does most certainly, you know, there's conspiracy theories abound in relation to a lot of this stuff. Um, and it does feed those conspiracy theories. And it always, um, uh, it always uh, surprises you how, how the, peop- the arms of the state can operate. And it, when it's brought to light, it seems sort of kind of chaotic. Um, but, you know, that, that, that's, that's the way it is. I mean, just the idea that Jonathan Dell came in and offered to give evidence against Jerry Hutch and then, you know, nobody got back to him and the guards thought he was going to ring them and he thought the guards were going to ring him. Uh, it just kind of yeah. has a feel. But anybody who's worked, uh, you know, and as you do as a journalist when you work with, with, with the state or anybody, like it kind of, there is a part of that that does make sense because that is the mm. way human organizations operate um but yeah Jonathan Dowdle it's 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 it is an an incredible uh tale because he obviously tried to lay down certain conditions with the Gardaí in terms of um you know not uh speaking kind of off the record for want of a better for a better term um and uh yeah, it's 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 interesting to see it operates in a kind of still there is a an aspect of informality in how these things occur. Look, on April twenty seventh, twenty twenty one, Jonathan Dowdell was charged with the murder of David Byrne at the Regency Hotel. Now, that was years after his house was searched by Gardy investigating the murder of uh Mr. Byrne at the Regency Hotel, and that his face and name came across the media, that he went on radio to defend himself, to claim innocence. But he was essentially out there at that time. And I would have imagined that um, that in itself, and he has said it, and he has said it actually, uh, that that put him in danger from the Kinahan organisation at a far more vo- volatile time than April of 2021 when a lot of the, the murder had been quelled and there was a handle really on what was going on within the feud. But he was charged in April. And in the May, his wife, Patricia, uh, got in touch with Gardy to say they wanted a meeting. So under the cross-examination earlier in the week, it was Detective Superintendent Paul Scott, who's now retired, but was the senior investigating officer in the Regency investigation um, at the time. And he he told Mr. Brendan Grehan, who is Hutch's senior counsel, that he received this phone call in November of 2021 from a solicitor called Jenny McGeever. And she said that her client, Jonathan Dowdall, wants to speak to the Gardaí in relation to the Regency investigation. So he had been charged, as I said, back in the April. Um, uh, the, the detective superintendent met the solicitor in a consultation room in the, the, the criminal courts in later that week, actually. That was a fairly quick uh, movement from, from the initial contact. And he said she read a pre-prepared document to him and indicated certain matters at that point. So um, he then reported matters up to his superiors and he said he then wrote to the solicitor in the December outlining to her what his opinion of the preconditions she was outlining was and he said that he had said to her then at that point that it was a very unusual set of circumstances. So coming into the January uh, the solicitor wrote to 
Scott again and she said that Dowdall had concerns for himself and his family and it wasn't feasible for the guardie to take a statement from him within the confines of the prison as it wasn't safe. Now he was still in prison at that point serving his sentence in relation to the kidnap and the waterboarding of the man who came to buy a car of him or a motorbike. Um, so that's where we're up to by the beginning of this year, by the January I mean, he says in in court, uh, Detective Superintendent Scott says clearly that he, he that there wasn't uh, he wasn't Mr. Dowdle didn't ask for anything in particular, and um, that he had provided information but wasn't looking for something. Um, and Mr. Graham asked him if it struck him that Dowdle was looking for something from the very beginning when he made contact, which would be the logical thing for most of us would think Jonathan Dowdle offered to go witness in order to get something. But um, Detective uh, Superintendent Scott says, that could have been in the back of my mind, but he never stated it. So he is saying, clearly, there was nothing explicit. Um, there was no agreement struck on or off the record, or cal- nothing asked for and nothing given. Um, interestingly, he says that they could have taken him out of the prison, um, which they do do... Um, where they, they, they create this medical appointment is actually discussed. They consider doing that, um, and which is a really common thing that, that, that can happen where if the guardy want to speak to somebody, they, they, they'll get a, they'll, the prison will be told there's a medical appointment. We've all we'll always hear about that. But instead... Those rumours always come out of the prisons exactly. What are people really doing? Yeah, yeah. Why are they going to get their, their, their blood pressure checked so regularly? Um, but then they did eventually, uh, Jonathan Dedal and his wife did appear in Ballywan Garda Station and the process began of, of making a witness statement. So he he said that in the February, he wrote back to the solicitor and told her that the guards weren't in a position to agree to sort of conditions. So she had sort of reached out to him as such in, in normal speak and said that, you know, Dowdall was in fear and that they wanted to kind of have some sort of communication. There would be preconditions, but she didn't outline exactly what those preconditions were. He said to her, they weren't in a position to agree to any conditions, but they would meet up to see what he had to say. So it seems very casual at this point. Um, Now, in the May, I think, uh, Dowdall's wife, Patricia, is meeting with detective, or certainly in communication with Detective Sergeant O'Toole who has been sort of given this job, he's been given this job to, to deal with the Dowdles uh, and see what they have to say. And they met up in Dublin airport. Um, he said she was in fear and uh, Dowdall was with her. He was out on bail at this stage, but they didn't kind of caution him and they didn't seem to discuss a whole pile of details. But the meeting did go on for hours. Um by the July, um, Dowdall and his wife had met with Detective Sergeant O'Toole three times. They'd given some information, but he still stated, Scott still states to the court that they hadn't looked for anything in particular still at that stage. I mean, we're coming up fast and furious to the, the Regency trial getting underway at this point. I mean, he directly then, uh, in his evidence, uh, Detective Sergeant O'Toole directly addresses what He's asked uh, by by Mr. Grehan, and he directly addresses what Jonathan Dowdle had said on the tapes uh, that we all heard, where Jonathan Dowdle, you know, could clearly be heard talking about bombs, t- 
targeting people, kidnapping people's wives. So, I mean, it was, you know, but Mr. Graham asked him what Dowdle had told uh, him about what was said on the audio. And he said, uh, some of that was bravado, Detective Sergeant O'Toole said. Adding that Jonathan Dowdle had been on medication at the time was another thing that he said. And he also said, which is, I think is accurate to say, um, having listened to the tapes, that Detective Sergeant O'Toole said he was acting up to Jerry and acting the hard man. And he agreed that Dowdle was saying he had been making things up. So this is part of of of, of obviously the, the the cross-examination that's gonna to happen to Jonathan Dowdle. You know, how can you be a, you're a man who's just looking for peace, but if you listen to the tapes, you hear something different. Obviously, then the other the other factor is Jerry Hutch does mention things, but we're we're, you know, at least it's being heard there that we're being asked to accept Jonathan Dowdle was just acting the hard man, but Jerry which obviously maybe was not doing the same, I suppose, would be some of it. Um, and then Detective Sergeant O'Toole was also questioned about um, about the two key bits of evidence that Jonathan Dowdle is going to give, one of which is that he's going to say that Jerry Hutch told him directly he was part of the hit team, and the second is that he he personally handed the key card to Jerry that was used by Flat Cap ultimately in the Regency Hotel. Um, he was questioned about that, and Mr. Grehan said, there isn't a, s- a scintilla, is that how you pronounce it, of evidence to support these claims, and... Detective Sergeant O'Toole said, no, there wasn't, um, that he it is Jonathan Dowdle's testimony, but there was no evidence to back up either 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 key bits of evidence, including the fact that Jerry O'Toole or Jerry Hutch supposedly met Jonathan Dowdle and handed this key card. He was asked about CCTV. He said there was none. This was six years later. It couldn't be verified. So there is literally Jonathan Dowdle's word on those two key bits of evidence. Obviously, Jonathan Dowdle, though, is standing in a court or is set to stand in a court and give that evidence. And there is always weight given to a witness coming to a court and, and standing behind what he is saying. However, you know, that 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 is a fact that there isn't going to be cooperation put forward by the state towards these things beyond that witness statement. It'll be he said, he said, he said. Um, the, the second meeting he had with them in the July O'Toole said that he sort of said to Dowdall to put down everything he knew in a piece of paper. But still, this there's nothing formal going on here. Um, and Dowdall came up with this 50-page type document. And the court had this, uh, sorry, the, 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 the court heard that his wife had an eight-page document. Um, and the third meeting they have then is on July 12th. And again, uh, O'Toole said he made contact with Patricia Dowdall the day before and made arrangements to meet her and the husband at Dublin, at her and Jonathan Dowdall at Dublin Airport Garda Station the following day to clarify some matters. And that it was at this point that Mrs. Dowdall read out the eight-page document at the meeting. So it's all very um, unusual, but I mean, I don't think anybody is denying any of it is unusual. Um the Dowdos are in a position that Jonathan is now facing a murder charge. He's saying, and she is saying, that they're terrified out of their minds. They don't only have to deal with the threats they're getting, they claim, from the Hutch organisation, but they now feel that they're under threat from the Kinahan organisation um, and obviously the provost. But, I mean, we're fast approaching this trial. So 
what seems to happen next is that in September, the DPP writes to Dowdall's solicitor to confirm to the solicitor that a plea to facilitation was acceptable. So the DPP has changed route with Dowdall by September 16th. Um, and that, you know, a null prosecute will be entered in relation to the murder charge if he pleads guilty to the facilitation. So um, O'Toole has his next conversation with Dowdall on September 22nd. And you can see why these issues are arising in the court because you're talking literally in a matter of days. And at that point, you know, he asks him if he wants to make a statement and tells him when he makes the statement, he may or may not be used as a state witness. It doesn't necessarily mean he's going to get protected just because he makes this statement officially. So um, Dowdall clearly agrees and the next day, September 23rd, he fully signs it. So, I mean, this is, you know, what is happening today, of course, is that uh, Jerry Hutch's defence team are trying to stop this before it even gets heard. Um, they're seeking to, to to get an order that Jonathan Dowdle's evidence cannot be heard and that it's it's Jerry Hutch, they're, they're stating clearly that Jerry Hutch will not be able to get a fair trial if Dowdle is allowed to go and give his evidence, and that the, the powerful incentive is, as they describe it, um, has tainted the statement and the evidence that Jonathan Dowdle is going to give uh, to the prosecution, um, and that therefore it shouldn't even be heard. Um, so there's going to have to be an order on that uh before we even get to the potential point of Jonathan Dowdle standing up in court. But would that not be a huge leap for any court to take the side of the defence in this argument and to believe that the DPP and the Gardaí are working, you know, together and lying about that? Well, I think it would be a huge leap not to hear it. um, Because obviously if Jonathan Dowdle does get on a witness stand then Jerry Hutch's defence can put all of these things to them, to him. And um, for him not to even get into the stand, I think would be, would be uh, it seems unlikely to us. What do we know? We're not lawyers or we're not judges. But, you know, obviously if, if, if somebody stands up and gives evidence in court, they get cross-examined and all of these features can be put to him. And then um, in this case, the judges can make a decision on whether that, as they describe it, is it is tainted. They can hear that evidence and then make a decision on whether Jonathan Dowdle uh, evidence is subsequently tainted. So I would expect, and as you go, you know yourself, as you go through these trials, there's often these these motions. Some of them are are made in hope as opposed to expectation. Um, but there is there is clearly uh, there's issues. The issues about about Jonathan Dowdle's testimony, they're 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 well flagged up, really, aren't they? And they're coming to fruition now, um, it, you know. And we're gonna, it's it's it's. Yeah, I would. Do you think yourself we're gonna see this trial now get elongated a lot more than it was? You see, wh- what appears to have happened towards the end of the day today is that they. The judges have sought clarification on whether Dowdall is actually on the witness protection programme because, so we're talking about all that going on in the July and into the September, right? So it's the September he's told that if he pleads guilty, the state will accept this 
uh, facilitation of murder charge. And both myself and Ian were in the court in October when he did come in and he pleaded guilty to that and when he was sentenced. Um, Now, at that point during his sentencing and when evidence was given about that he was at that point, from memory, they were saying he was being considered for the witness protection programme. Um, that he had agreed to give evidence and he was being considered on the programme. But he wasn't actually on the programme that day of the sentencing. Um, but now the judges are looking for clarification. Is he in it now? So, I mean, he has to be in the witness protection programme now. Well, he's in, although of course he is in prison, is he? Like, has he been accepted on the, the witness protection programme? But it's not just him, it's him and his family. It's him and his wife and his children and his father. So they're not all in prison. Himself and his father are in prison. But to be accepted, I mean, to give the evidence, he has to be on that programme now. So that, that, that sort of secretive thing in the background, the signing up of him onto that programme has to be done because he was expected to be in court this week. They wouldn't do it that lastminute.com. Um, so they're looking for clarification of this. And there's a suggestion, I think, that if there's loads of documentation, this could take a long time. But I don't believe the state is going to give up very much in relation to that. I think they will give up the fact that he is on it. And if they're asked for other documents of any kind, I think they will definitely claim, uh, you know, privilege and in the interest of state security. And do, like, do somebody who's um, signing up for a witness protect, do you sign, like, terms and conditions, tick this box? And, I mean, I don't know. I mean, if anybody knows. That, you see, that's where the whole thing is sort of cloaked in this secrecy. And you can understand why it's cloaked in secrecy, because people on the witness protection programme are at the very highest critical threat level there is. And especially before they give evidence, because clearly that anybody who's giving evidence in a court that an accused, I'm not saying Jerry Hutch, but an accused, you know, would want them not to be alive to give that evidence. I mean, that is the ultimate solution for for many people in the dock. Um, So the fact of the matter is that in this country, the Witness Protection Programme isn't kind of in any any proper legislation. It's guided by it. And there have been guidelines given by Europe, but it isn't clear exactly what documents are given to people. I've spoken to a lot of people who've been on the Witness Protection Programme. They've all been treated and in in circumstances that are different when they go on it. Um, A complaint made by Joey O'Callaghan, who was the subject of the book and the podcast, The Witness, was that he wasn't given legal advice before he signed up. He was in a very critical position. He had literally gone to a guard station in fear for his life And while in that guard station, Brian Kenny, who would later be convicted of murder, was sending him repeated texts to his phone, telling him what he wouldn't do to him, you know, if he didn't come back and, you know, all the rest of it. So that was a very different situation to this, but that would have been one of his complaints. And in other cases, people say they are given documents, but are the documents, you know, we'll never see them. I can tell you that. We're never going to see the documents. And the state have been very slow to give up anything, in even in civil proceedings, in relation to the Witness Protection Programme. Um, there's a huge shroud of secrecy over it. And I would imagine that there's not going to be a load of stuff put before the courts. I think it'll just be a simple, yes, he is on. Yeah, because I mean, obviously, Jonathan, if if which which won't be the case, but if a witness was to be told, well, you can, you're going to, we're going to buy a quarter million pound house on, on Bondi Beach, the, the defense may say that's an incentive or not, but so I 
I think you probably will see that the that that this there was a suggestion that this could go past Christmas. I'll clarify that little bit for you about the Bondi Beach because that much I do know. Say in the case of Jonathan Dowdall and he has a beautiful house up on the Navan Road which is worth a lot of money. The state will help sell that house and wherever he relocates to he will get help buying a house of similar value. So you're actually on the witness protection program. You don't or certainly you're not supposed to get a big amount of money. You're not supposed to be given anything. You're just supposed to be helped relocate. And that will be given a new identity, you know, a new PPS number, this kind of thing. And in the case of Dowdall, the whole family have to get that. And then you're given a sort of a liaison officer in your new country that you're supposed to be able to ring if ever anything happens or, you know, if you're in fear or there's any particular threat you feel coming around you, you're helped kind of establish yourself in a business. You're helped with a backstory, a new backstory as to why you suddenly appear somewhere. But um, you're not supposed to be paid, basically. It's not supposed to be something evidence. that you can profit from, is it really? You're, no. You're meant to... No. no. If you're on the dole going in, you'll be helped go on the dole in your new country. If you're a, a homeowner and a businessman like Dowdall, you'll be helped, you know, establish yourself in a similar a fashion in the new jurisdiction. So don't think Bondi Beach is going to happen for anyone. No, but there is an incentive, uh, not an incentive maybe is the wrong term, but you can see how Jonathan Dowdall, unlike some of the witnesses maybe that come before Gangland trials, how Jonathan Dowdle could look at re-establishing himself. He's a businessman, a man who's run a business, who has a trade, who has a young family and is a presentable, you know, competent person. And you can see how a new he is somebody who's capable of building a new life. A lot of people who go on the witness protection program, they don't have the background or the capacity, I think, to cope even in a new country, to, to work at a normal job or any of those factors but you can see how, how Jonathan Dowdle uh, might be different than some of the people who've, who've ended up there. Now, what will it be like if they come back and say, no, he wasn't accepted on the programme at all? So, in other words, he's given evidence and it's up to himself to, to, be, you know, to protect himself. I mean, that is, you know, a smaller possibility, but it is, I mean, it is, anything's possible in this whole trial and, and story and everything that has emerged from from what happened in the Regency back in 2016. Um, but by the sounds of the what they've said in court, I would think, well, we're, I would think we're very unlikely to see him by the end of this week. And if he's not there by the end of this week, if complications start regards to his signing on to the programme or the state signing him on to the programme, I mean, the judges put it out themselves. It could be the other side of Christmas. It's gone too smoothly. <laughs> it's gone. It has. It has. And the judges have, have, you know, you can see how they've driven it forward in a way, you know. Um, but yeah, mm. time will tell. Yeah. Uh, pop in tomorrow anyway and see what's what's happening because I think the other thing that the judges have done in particular in this case is given a bit of clarity about what's coming next and what we can expect and have asked for that clarity. So, you know, while we're all at sea a little bit at the moment as regards Dowdall, I think we'll be much clearer tomorrow. So, Mr. Donald. Yes, Miss Donald. You know, I got, Whoa, will I tell wow. you a little funny story? I was in the, I was in the canteen today and um, 
you know, I was talking to Ema Rabbit, our mild-mannered, as you described, esteemed. her news editor, esteemed, mm. let's go for. And I was, we were, let's say, we let's we wouldn't, I wouldn't say we were bitching, but we were certainly expressing discontent with various things. And somebody in, it, there was a big IT meeting for the building and somebody said, you're Nile," And I said, what? And he said, I recognize your voice. So there you go. That is the level of fame. I've now, my voice has been recognized by one person. And that's probably because you have them tormented over your phones, which you smash <laughs> no, up no, every couple of months. He recognized my voice and he said, is from the podcast. And he said, is Jerry going down? So there you go. Oh, see, oh it's in the podcast as opposed to you smashing up your phone and being on to IT constantly looking for help at your computer. No, I, which I don't do because I'm very um, uh, calm and considered. Um, but yeah, there you go. So I have now it's achieved a certain so level of a certain level of fame. And you know, I was away over the summer and I was in this sort of like really random place down the country in a coffee shop and I was ordering something for people. And this girl turned around to me and she said, uh, Nicola. And I said, yeah. And she said, oh my God, I thought I had my phone on. I'm listening to your podcast. So she thought she went into her handbag before she realized it was actually the real me <laughs> and tried to turn off her phone. <laughs> Some, some might say if only they could turn off a Nicola Talent uh, just as easily. Oh, no, don't go down that road. Don't go down that road. But the same is going to happen to you now when you're standing in the queue in Little or Aldi or wherever you go <laughs> and you'll be somebody who turn around to you and go, sorry, I thought I was listening to the phone. So look, we'll, we'll ramble on again uh, later in the week. But, um, and I'm going to get in there because I haven't made it, unfortunately, for a few days into this Um and I rely heavily on Alison O'Reardon, who provides the copy from the court service. She works down there as a court reporter for Ireland International News Agency and supplies us and many other titles, including the Irish Times and all the rest of it. And she is extremely good with her time and her copy. And I think anybody who works down in the courts realises how generous she is in explaining the minute of what the rest of us tend to miss. So... um, I'll have Alison on later in the week as well. She talks more sense than you anyway. No, it's a great skill. Great skill, court reporting. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Okay, well, look, thanks a million. Thanks, Nicola. You've been listening to Crime World, a podcast from sundayworld.com. Produced by Ian Mullaney and edited by me, Nicola Talent. Research assistant is Claude Amini. If you like this show and love true crime, leave us a review. Or why not download the free sundayworld.com app for lots more stories from Ireland and across the globe.